I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Our show this week is sponsored by InvestEngine. InvestEngine lets people like me invest commission-free into some of the world's best ETFs. My mum always said that life was like a box of chocolates, and I think that investing is too. One reason that investing is like a box of chocolates is that both of them are risky. When you invest, your capital's at risk, and when you buy a tub of celebrations, there's a risk it might be mostly bounties. But there are other reasons too. Some people, when they have a box of chocolates, they just want to eat them all. Uh, And some people, when they want to invest, they want to own everything. ETFs are great for people who want to own it all. They come ready diversified with a bit of everything in there. Other people, though, they like some chocolates more than others. I'm one of these people. That orange cream thing in the Quality Street tin can do one. But I digress. With investing, some people like some types of investment more than others. For these people, InvestEngine lets them pick their own ETFs to get the balance of their portfolio the way they want it. If I want more Apple than AstraZeneca, that's something I can do. And if I want most of my portfolio in FTSE 100 dividend stocks, that's also a thing. InvestEngine lets investors look easily at how their combination of ETFs distributes their money into various stocks. For those of us who don't think that all chocolates are the same. Lastly, nobody likes to pay too much for boxes of chocolates. And the same goes for investing. That's why InvestEngine is great for everyone. There are no fees for buying or selling, no ISA fees and no account fees. So if you like investing or chocolates, go and check them out. There's a link down below. If you sign up and invest £100 and leave it there for a year, you'll get a £25 bonus. Fantastic. The sucker's going up. Welcome everyone to the Playing Footsie podcast. I am very, very ill. I've just realised my voice is like Barry White again. But we've got Steve D and Steve W. And it, well, really, it's me being the guest because I haven't been in here in so long. And thank you so much, guys, for uh, dealing with me being on trips and stuff away and not being here all the time. And thank you to everybody who were people pretty angry about it last week. I can't remember. Yeah, you had a new nickname in the comments, which we probably won't, uh, we probably won't repeat. Uh, but that was quite interesting. But yeah, Paul, they think you're um, you think you're some kind of layabout. Like Steve and I working our asses off to produce a, a, a podcast every week, and you're posting pictures of you drinking sangria. <laughs> no one's working hard here. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, I, no, uh, I suppose I should explain. I. Um, I have recently been doing a lot of travel, which is very interesting. Um, that's changed a lot of my life, um, which has quite, been quite good. Nothing to do with YouTube. Uh, um, more about me changing my job and things like that. And uh, uh, very, very interesting. But you guys have been up to quite a bit as well. So how's your week been? And what's, <clears throat> what's the stock market like for you at the moment? Uh, so my week's been kind of interesting, Paul. It's been fairly busy. It's the first week of term back where we are. Uh, so I'm meeting all my students kind of for the first time in some cases, ones I haven't taught before and ones that are just starting out on their degrees. They all seem quite enthusiastic. A lot of them are already uh, somehow poorly, which is probably about par for the course, I guess. Um, you sound quite rough there, but it is good to see you anyway. Um, and, you know, it's good to hear you doing well. I mean, for those who don't know, it's not like Paul kind of vanishes off the face of the earth every so often. He shows up in our um, Discord chat every, pretty much every day uh, with something to say about a stock or whatever part of the world he's in. Doesn't always necessarily tell us what part of the world that is, but nearly always has a picture of it, uh, which is cool to look at. So he's definitely well around uh, for anyone who is wondering, and we hear plenty from him about the show and so on. Stock market this week, oh, that's been quite exciting. Um, lots of things have basically gone downwards. Uh, I've been buying some things and just kind of wondering and watching and um, I guess kind of enjoying it. It feels to me like I was thinking earlier, we've talked a lot and we talked a lot in the last couple of years when markets only ever seem to go up uh, about the idea of, look, they will turn around, interest rates will rise, things will come down. You need to be kind of prepared to see the number on your portfolio thing halve if it comes to it and so on. 
and it feels like nothing kind of quite prepares you for that all of the all of the talking you want about it i thought it was kind of like learning a game which is not the greatest comparison but with something like chess or monopoly or whatever you can learn all the rules and have them all kind of said to you and so on but you learn it much better by just going through a couple of times and there's a everything falls into place better and you see what you're trying to do i feel like something similar is kind of going on now that it's only when you really go through it there's something that no amount of talking kind of prepares you for watching it go down and that's not to say it's stopped going down by the way i'm sure there's plenty more to come but the we talk about being ready i guess it's quite hard to actually do that without really kind of living it in a certain way i agree i've been looking at it and and it's weird to see your money and think of it as kind of a game as such and that's that's not nice to say sometimes because it can we we can have quite large sums of money in our accounts and um well you can to think that to think to think that we're kind of uh playing with it or 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 you know just not treating it as, as serious um it's, it's quite uh it's it's quite interesting but i've been looking forward to this i've been looking forward to this for a couple of years now because uh, i wanted to test and i agree with you i i wanted to test i wanted to know if i can stay in the market and not pull out at a loss we'll talk about some of the things i've done recently after Steve D's week. What have you been doing this week, Steve? Uh, so I've had a fairly quiet week, really. There's nothing um, nothing too exciting. I'm just sort of loading up in the background. So I keep a spreadsheet of uh, every year uh, and monthly just performance, just, just jot it all down. And uh, it's funny that you guys say about, like, you know, the trip around the Monopoly board is the best way to learn how to play Monopoly. Um, but the feelings you experience when money goes down, you're not going to repeat, you know, you're not going to get the same feelings next time it happens because it always happens for different reasons. And, and the way that the reasons, uh, you know, the reasons that come across can uh, affect you differently. So, um, for instance, when the coronavirus crash happened, you know, the economy was completely shutting down we didn't know if we'd ever reopen we didn't know how deadly the disease was um that's a lot different to what we're experiencing now they, these are completely different reasons so your view on coronavirus and the economy shutting down and when it, and when and if it ever reopened are going to be different to the are now but i jot down the things that um you know have spooked the market so over the last sort of three years here's just a taste of the things that i've jotted down so crazy year high asset inflation quantitative easing accommodative fed and accommodative central banks across the world two consecutive growth stock hits war in ukraine inflation at eight percent fed quantitative tightening war in ukraine continues interest rate hikes cost of living crisis uh russia nuclear war threat china threatening taiwan inflation currently at 10 percent. so they're just some of the things we've experienced over the last that's just really the last three years since i've started jotting down uh, down these things so they'll all punch you in the gut in a slightly different way i'm i'm, I'm afraid to tell you but uh stomaching them now does mean that you'll be able to stomach them in the future but it's a different kind of stomaching every time you come across it um but yeah i thought that was quite interesting it was just interesting by that you brought it up and i thought oh maybe that might be worth reading out but you know maybe in five years time i'll read that out to you again and it'll be you know it'll be even more devastating <laughs> but yeah they're the things we've been through uh paul oh, like i've heard that. of edward scissorhands yeah. but you've been a bit paul pierpans recently uh, <laughs> no I, I like that i like that you've been writing that down i'd love to see um, a comparison to say the seventies and then one in the eighties as well, and and do three year comparisons with that because one of my favourite interviews that I've done is with Chuck. Uh, whether you like his value investing style or his dividend investing style or not is 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 you know yeah, by the by, but what he told me in that interview was that this like you say it's all different but it's the level and intensity that the media and things gets to you each time to make you think that this time it's different and in truth it's it's not is it when you look when you really look at the, the bigger picture it's it's not different i mean china you mentioned china in your list there uh 2014 we had a chinese problem again and we recovered from that quite differently in the same way, you know, we've we've had the interest rates as well. So there are other things that have led to uh, the market recovering all the time. But now um, the, the the media or some of the big pundits are suggesting a Great Depression too. 
do does that are you fearful of that at all or is this one of the things we're going to take it in the gut but they know how to sell papers and and now they just know how to sell clicks it's no different uh, they know that the attention grabbing headline is what sells so they're gonna whatever happens the dial on that is just gonna get whacked up to the max because they need to create fear because fear gets you clicking it also gets you going back as well now uh, just to double check whether you know see if that thing has happened yet and the vast majority of the time it it doesn't happen um and i guess we'll see that with a lot of the things that are on that list you know china threatening taiwan well that's kind of been happening for quite a while and i mean from uh, from 2014 through to 2022 we all thought that you know russia continuing to invade ukraine was just a little bit of saber rattling and then obviously that turned out to be the wrong thing as well but there was eight years there where you know you could have been you could have almost been finished investing over that period the way the markets went up so it, you know it would not have been something to sit and stay away from um but yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I just think it's interesting. It's one of those things that I would encourage everybody to do because you can just go back and look at all the things you've invested through and you can say to yourself, you know, next time there's some massive problem where you they probably should really add that the UK pension system's about to collapse. Um, but, um, you know, that's another thing you can add to your list of things. And, you know, it's just something for you to look back into. I made it through all of this stuff. I can make it through whatever the next problem is. Yeah, the only problem which does arise is personal problems which is uh let's let's talk about my paper hands that i've had this week yeah this week probably yesterday i think it was uh we record this on thursday so i sold probably half of my portfolio on thursday and i, I want to state it right here is nothing to do with the market economic situation well nothing that affects the price of stocks going up and down no i'm i was not scared in any way in fact the only stocks that i've left are the ones which are in the negative by 20 maybe even 30 percent some of them are at the moment down down that down that low but i've had a personal financial situation that's come up um where i need i will probably need to pay for uh, a part of my house on the help to buy and i'm unlikely to get a good mortgage rate or even a mortgage at all so i need the cash and i thought the cash was coming from somebody else somewhere else and we had all that planned but that is not there anymore so i've had to find it somewhere else and what i've done is i've found it in my stocks i've had to because we're not going to pay off the rest of this equity by next year this is now money that i need and i think number one market rule between the three of us here is that don't invest money that you think you're going to need within the next couple of years and what's happened is i need about 20 grand and so i'm putting it into uh, a savings account or a high interest account or and even possibly paying for something uh, paying off the mortgage because of interest rates right now so yes the macro condition is kind of affecting what i why i've had to make this sale but it's not because of price at all yeah so david gardner from the motley fool has a rule about when you're supposed to sell um can any of you remember offhand when that is that you're meant to sell things he's a buy and hold kind of a guy uh steve's shaking his head he was the one i thought might know uh, I don't think so, actually. No, his rule is sell when you need the money, um, which yeah, is exactly right. what you're doing, right? I mean, his idea is that you watch it go up and up and up. But the point is you sell stuff when you need the money for it and you don't sell stuff if you don't need the money for it. But the important part of that is, look, if something happens in cash you thought was going to be there isn't there, the right thing to do is sell your uh, part of your portfolio. It's now Thursday. You said you sold about 50% of it on Wednesday, so that's probably about 85% of it by today's standards, by the... Uh, way the market went out the gate here. I haven't actually looked in the last few hours. Um, it's but look, been pretty good, actually, at the end. Very green. Has it? Yeah, okay, very green. fine. Yeah. Um, oh, well. Uh, but that's the right thing to do, right? I mean, I think we all agree that when you uh, have a better use for the money is one idea, but if you need the money um, and you have a better use for it because it's urgent, then, yeah, absolutely selling it's the right thing to do. And worrying about whether it was higher last week or the week before or whether it will be higher next week is the kind of game that none of us is in, really. Yeah, and the best way plans were not expecting 6% mortgage rates and 10% inflation and, you know, and then obviously the risk-free rate, which we'll touch on uh, later. 
uh, creeping up and creeping up uh, as it is today. Yeah, it's a decision that I've made. Uh, whether it's a good decision or not, I, I don't know. But as soon as this money is locked away safe, I will be back. And trust me, I will be smashing stuff into the market. Um, it's just we need to get this out of the way. But it's worth talking about the risk-free rates that are going on at the moment. The sucker's going up. Right, I don't know about you guys, but recently in the Discord... I've seen, because some of the channels are popular at different times of the year. We had the SPAC channel that was really popular a couple of years ago, which feels like decades ago now. And I'm sure you've changed the name. But very it's recently... It's Backholder's Graveyard now. Backholder's Graveyard, yeah. yeah. Very recently, the banking and savings account section has been really, really busy. I've noticed that. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Yeah. I've been yeah, so, a lot, yeah. Yeah, so why let's talk about why i guess the reason why is that the rates are really getting quite exciting i remember there was a time when we were all really excited for the chase uh 1.5 savings account and now that's uh that's pretty far behind i mean uh you know we're not going to be getting too excited about that monzo managed a 1.55 percent but that's that's come back down i mean i'm looking at the rates now on just on one year fixes and on two year fixes we're looking at 4.35 4.71 on a two year 4.86 on a three year and 5.01 on a five year fix which you know even if you think that interest rates are, are going to go up uh, do you really think they're going to be above five percent for five years that seems quite unlikely to me so you may get a couple of years of real joy out of that account um i opened I, i've jumped the gun a little bit we have some cash that we were saving for our mortgage um we normally pay it off once a year but the rates are so low at the moment paying off something that's accruing interest at 1.29 percent when i can get a far better rate somewhere else our mortgage doesn't expire until 2026 so we've just put that in a, a nationwide account it's a three-year fix can't touch it but it's paying 4.75 percent uh which seems like a far better deal than than paying off the mortgage a little bit earlier eventually i'll just let it pay off with a little bit of nationwide money as well but um, just even the notice accounts as well. I'm just looking quickly down the list now. We've got 3% on notices. We've got fixed rate ices at 4.35. Lifetime ices have jumped up to 2%. Uh, I saw there's a, a nationwide, um, they're doing like a easy access. They're calling it easy access, but it's called a triple access uh, savings account where you can access from it three times a year. So it's probably a good place for your emergency fund. And that's paying, I think it's 2.35% uh, if you take from it more than three times the whole thing drops to 0.35 percent so that's a pretty interesting accounts i mean you start to look at your stocks uh, when you're seeing five percent and you you know that if that's the risk-free rate that we're, we're going to experience then stocks have to do really well to to you know make it worth taking some risks steve have you have you seen anything that's uh, caught your eye yeah, I had a look at one which was a slightly unusual one. It's the Barclays Rainy Day Saver, which I think is instant access. You're only allowed to put five grand in it, but it pays at about 5.12. And 5% is the kind of thing I'm getting excited by rounding up into my Chase account on by trying to spend stuff on my Chase card and get, uh, I think you get 1% cash back still actually at the moment on that. So yeah. it's marginally better and the kind of change goes into the, uh, the rounded up thing. But yeah, rates are high at the moment. I mean, I'm wondering whether that might be a nice place but it won't take all of my emergency fund i have i'm, I'm expecting bigger emergencies than that but that would be a, a good thing to have and i think you need their current account too which i currently don't have and finally if you are looking in my direction as well talking about my mortgage uh nationwide mortgage right now fixed uh two year was five percent i think the three year was six percent Oddly enough, the 10-year was 4.8% or something like that, but that's still ridiculous. You know, my eight years left on my mortgage term right now is fixed at around 2%, so I'm doubling my payments uh, going forward. So in my head, I thought I will be saving a lot of money if I... Uh, spend my money on my mortgage rather than in stocks right now and it's this thing about the the problem that i've had is am i interrupting compounding here do you think that i'm interrupting on my compounding yes the question is whether it's a good idea to do that um the uh the issue you have is that your interest is going to compound and it might compound at a rate that makes it hard for you to pay it down with the money you have and you want to stop that and 
you can then start building back compounding stuff. I mean, that's always been rule one, right? If you have any debt that's running a reasonably, anything remotely high interest rate, I mean, we talk about credit card debt as the obvious example of this, but that's sort of double digits percentage. We're not quite talking that on a mortgage, at least not yet anyway. Um, but yeah, get yourself out of things that are uh, certainly interest carrying debt, yeah, student loans less obviously, but that seems to be the right thing to do to me. Yeah. Well, Munger, he always says, don't interrupt compounding, uh, but he adds the word unnecessarily at the end of it. And if you feel like you're coming to a point where you think you're getting to, uh, in, you know, you need to interrupt compounding, then, then that becomes a necessity to do so, doesn't it? <laughs> so in your case, I think uh, as much as I like calling you paper hands, uh, it's been probably the joy <laughs> of my week calling you that. Uh, I think in the same position I, I would have done, well, I have done a similar thing uh, when 20... 14 or 2015 we had quite a lot in stocks and shares isa um we wanted to pay down our uh, mortgage because we had a uh, a dream of going um down to four days so we put uh, about 50k on our mortgage um and that came out of some savings but mostly out of uh, stocks and shares isa i left a little bit of residual behind uh, and I've started up again from then. I thought wrongly that uh, 2008 to 2015 was quite a long time for us to be uh, pretty much <laughs> scot-free on uh, on compounding. If I'd, have, if I'd have left it there, I would have been uh, infinitely better off. But at the end of the day, it's personal finance for a reason because it's it's literally about you. Um, mm. And that's how I feel now. I mean, since, since then, <clears throat> we put more money on our mortgage. Our dream is to be mortgage-free, not because that's... At 1.29%, that's a particularly sensible idea. Uh, I mean, it's the cheapest kind of debt you can get. It's the probably, uh, there's, there'll be people listening that are quite envious of that uh, mortgage or it. Um, but the same thing for us is that we, we want to clear it because when we clear it, that's our biggest expenditure. Well, it is at the moment. It depends how, uh, how energy bills go when this cap finishes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's currently our biggest expenditure. And once we get rid of that, we're free to do as we please. So uh, my wife really does want to go down to four days a week. I've investigated going down to four or three days a week uh, as well. And that's probably what we'll do. Um, but yeah, uh, do you have anything to add, Paul? Well, I was wondering if you guys are feeling it now. Obviously, you've opened up one of your high-interest savings accounts and fixed in for like three years or something like that. Are we feeling this risk equity rate dragging money over away from stocks and going into uh, bank accounts now? I think Steve's feeling it more than I am. Um, he's uh, historically been an owner of gilts, I think, which is something he kind of doesn't particularly admit to <laughs> anyone else. Bad luck, Steve. Um, Who but, would admit uh, that? Well, uh, I, it feels like a kind of Buffett and Airlines thing to me. He seems to be getting tempted by them again. So I think he's more tempted by this than I am, although he'll tell you what he thinks in a minute properly. Um, in my case, no, I'm not yet feeling the, the draw away. I mean, I continue to look for better places and more interesting places to put my emergency fund, for what it's worth. So I am kind of switched on to uh, this sort of thing. But I've always thought that, Look, strictly, I know that there's been an easier way to my, uh, probably an easier way anyway, to my kind of uh, personal finance goals. And that's always been to buy an index or an ETF or something like that. It's very hard to outperform those things. Strictly and deep down, I kind of know that I ought to just be banging this into the VWRL or whatever. But I haven't done that. I've tried to pick stocks because I think it's interesting and I'm open to the possibility that I might do better than it. Um, so the thought that I might do better by sticking it into bonds or I might reach my kind of goals in a fairly boring way by going to bonds doesn't particularly move me because I think I probably could have reached it in a more boring way anyway. It's hard yeah, to say. I don't, think I'm a, I don't think I'm a million miles away from buying gilts, but then when you look at the rates, I'm probably still about 40% away from buying gilts. And the reason is is this. Look, I base my portfolio on returning about 6.5% uh, when I do any of my projections. So I'm trying to be really conservative because the thing is, I wouldn't buy Vusa. I wouldn't buy an S&P tracker. I know historically that's been the best thing to buy, but it makes no sense in my head that American can continue this ridiculous rate um, that, they've, that they've achieved. So I would have bought VWRL, which turns about 6.5%. So the minute I'm starting to get bond rates around that kind of amount or the minute i'm trying to get starting to get a savings account around that kind of rate i mean if you're telling me i can get five and a half percent in uh, in nationwide or whatever uh, it's very unlikely that i'd be out chasing stock but the flip side of that is 
I'm not at the moment. I'm still going to put in my full 20,000 allocation into my ace this year. I've put £6,000 into a GIA and I've put 20-something thousand into a pension as well. So uh, I've not stopped buying stock. I am buying stocks, but I'm just saying that, you know, at some point that rate's going to get to a point which is going to turn my head to the point where I say, well, look, this is the most sensible place for my money because if I can get 6% in a risk-free savings account with Nationwide or 5.5% in a risk-free savings account with Nationwide, then I'm going to want to at least double that from my stocks uh, to take on the, the, the additional risk. So, yeah, that's just where I am at the moment. Um, I, we've laughed at gilts before. I was buying gilts when they were especially bad, and that's why it's funny. But right now, there's about 4% yield on decent uh, on a long-dated gilt. Uh, that's not bad. That's not bad. There's a linchpin of your portfolio. If you want something just to sit there, unfortunately, gilts have actually done about as bad as Bitcoin this year. Uh, in terms of their actual price. But the yield yeah. right now is about 4%. And if you want something that should be a linchpin in your portfolio, hopefully we get some steady government uh, uh, for the next decade or so, that should sit there, tick along, tick up at 1% or 2% a year, return you 4% yield. And that should do pretty well. Um, so, yeah, uh, gilts, we've smartened that before. But I think they're very quickly being something that we maybe should start considering. One thing I really wanted to touch on there was something that I haven't asked you guys before, and that's quite interested me, is that you set your expected rate or your conservative rate at around 6%. And that's interesting that you've set that target because I think this is a really important rule in investing, particularly for me, because I've set my rule at about 4%. And when I first started all YouTube and everything like that, I was putting in dividend investing and, and things and putting it all into dividend stocks. And my comments were full of people saying to me, you're not an investor. You're a terrible investor. If you can't earn 30, 40, maybe even 50% mm. on your money. And I yeah, was thinking but then myself, you stop making videos. So I've stopped writing in your comment section now. <laughs> I, but I, I was thinking to myself, that's a, that's a lot. That seems like a lot. You know, the best investors in the world only earn 30% a year. And, and they even attribute that a lot to luck. And so I think it's very important. And I'd love to hear some people in the comments who might be able to tell us what they think their expected rate is. Because a lot of people said it at 10%, don't they? Because that's the historical average of the S&P 500. I think that's very high. And personally, I went to my compound interest calculator. I figured out how much money I'm going to need by the time I'm 67 or if I wanted to retire earlier, I, I would figure out that, that amount. I think it was around 450,000 initially. It's probably a little bit higher than that now. But I set myself to compound at a rate of 4% and figured out a path to get there. And that's why now when we're seeing rates at around 5% coming on to 6% and my mortgage is now 5%. My risk-free rate is, uh, is covered now. So I mm -hmm. should be able to, by putting into my mortgage and put it, putting into basic uh, savings accounts, which is unbelievable to think of now, uh, I will eventually reach my financial freedom number you know I'll, re I'll reach that goal and i've set that at four percent so i wonder and i'd like to hear from people in the comments as well what they think their uh number is what what they expect as a return because it used to be uh, honest to god it used to be like you need to double your money every single year if you double your money every single year you'll be a millionaire in a couple of years and i was thinking to myself that is a tough old deal and then you see tesla going up and that was when people were, I think that was when people were really uh, thinking this thing. But I wonder what it is now. I wonder what people are expecting from the market now. And I'd love to hear that uh, in the comments and on Instagram if anyone wants to message me or anything like that. So I think Steve is dead right. That number has to be bigger than four. Otherwise, there is a real question of if you're aiming for 4%, why aren't you taking the easiest route to 4% available, which is, I mean, even if you don't think it's guilt, so even if you think it's like a two-year saving or something like that, that'll get you above 4%. Um, something along those lines has to be a more straightforward thing. And 4%, to Steve's point with guilt nowadays, is is not nothing. I mean, it's not so very long ago that people were going mad when realty incomes yield uh, went through 4%. They thought, this is great. This is an absolute steal here. There is a difference between a guilt and realty income, obviously, in that realty incomes dividend might go up and the yield on a guilt when you buy it won't. Um, but 
you know, 4%, we're now talking about what was previously the kind of thing that dividend investors were thinking is quite a high yield when, when rates were kind of right down at whatever they were, 0.5% negative in real terms, you get the general idea. Yeah, I'd like to think that dividend investors, uh, you know, if we're, if we're really going to, uh, there's a couple of good ones out there at the minute, aren't there? They're really pushing, pushing some big stuff. I, I'd like to think that these dividend investors take into uh, account capital appreciation at the same time. But in my my personal idea was that if I could find a base rate of, say, a 4% dividend yield, I would still get to my goal. And it was quite a low floor. Uh, quite a low ceiling to to break through and if i did any better than that it just means i'm getting there quicker and that's kind of how i saw it and it's how i still see it now even though it's a bit choppy at the moment it's a bit it's a lot less clear especially now i've got to take money from certain places and put it into other places but if i can keep going and keep working i will be there at four percent and I suppose the reason why we get into stocks after that is because of the possible, you know, the possible premium that you're going to get from taking the risk. Yeah, th there's nothing like future-proofing a bit of dignity in retirement by setting your expectations low. I think that's <laughs> fair enough. You know, I mean, if you think you you need X amount of money to retire or, or to be happy or to be comfortable when you retire, and you can get there by only only getting four percent, well, that gives you an awful lot of choice in what you invest in, doesn't it? So, whereas you know, everybody options. wants to double their money. Yeah, if you want to double your money, you've got to be scouring the latest the latest penny stocks. You've got to be, you know, it really cuts you down to. Uh, just simple trying to find momentum anywhere you can find it whereas if you're only looking for four percent at the moment you can say hey do you know what i'll bank 50 percent of my portfolio in gilts or 80 percent of my portfolio in gilts because that'll get me four percent and then you know i'll try and find some alpha in the market somewhere um you know that, that that's that's fine when it gets to six percent or six and a half percent or whatever you've got your set Steve, it becomes a little bit trickier because you have to be a little bit careful in, in what you buy but it's it's one of the beauties of of the dividend portfolio as well though if that's what you're into if you're into buying income um you know you might get one or two percent out of your portfolio and you've only got to find four percent of capital appreciation and in the american markets there's been a lot of companies that have achieved four percent capital appreciation over that period of time so yeah i'm in favor of setting expectations low especially if it makes you contribute more to these kind of things because um you know that that's key go on steve sorry i was i feel like i'm that, that... fire is exactly the thing I was going to say. I mean, once you've got your stuff banged in boring old gilts or something, next job is stop worrying about that. The price will go where it goes. Don't sell them again. Go out and make some more money, which is pretty much exactly, as I understand it, what Paul's doing. That's the idea. I mean, the main thing that I've taken away from that is that uh, Steve D uh, approaches... <laughs> approaches the idea of dividend investing with the same way an old man would look at... Um, a <laughs> get a gay pair in in the street and go well if it's okay for them it's okay for them fair play wow. to you guys <laughs> that was the way i saw it i went i went oh uh all right it's, it's dividend investing if it's if it's what you like you know as long as you don't bother me yeah, with it i'm okay that's strictly my old yorkshire attitude that you can do it but don't bring it to my door i don't want anyone knocking on there telling me the virtues of dividend investing we don't send this bit to the sponsors do we <laughs> <laughs> the sucker's going up. Okay, uh, next up, we've got a few news items that uh, we've been looking at talking about. We've got Kathy Wood's letter. We've got a bit on Netflix and a bit on inflation at the moment because today, recorded on Thursday, the new CPI results have come out in the US. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, Kathy Wood has sent an open letter to the Federal Reserve and she's explaining why they are making a mistake. Uh, so the Federal Reserve at the moment is hiking interest rates pretty rapidly. Um, they're about, I think she said, 13 times higher than they were at the start of the year, which, I mean, she's right about that. They've hiked it only a few times, but with, I guess, one of the things that's kind of become normal is the idea that a rise in interest rates is like a 1% raise now or a 0.75% raise, whereas previously at the start of the year we were thinking of up by... 0.25 of a percent maybe at most so we're getting kind of triple and quadruple hikes in one in one go kathy wood thinks it's a very bad idea uh because commodity prices are coming down um and they've been coming down for quite some time at least the ones that aren't fuel or food um and she thinks the economy's in a pretty weak state she thinks that hiking in, uh interest rates here and trying to tackle inflation is going to cause what she calls a deflationary shock um therefore the fed should stop doing it 
over to you for your thoughts on this theory. Hold on. Wasn't her whole premise on technology that technology outperformance was going to cause a def or create a deflationary environment and they would have to combat that anyway? And also, I thought she wanted commodity prices to come down to prove that she was right as well. I don't know what she thinks about commodity prices, but you're right in thinking that, yes, she has typically thought that, look, the ability to do everything cheaper will push down prices. Uh, so if you basically automate everything rather than having to pay a bunch of humans to do it, um, that will cause deflation by itself. Maybe that's uh, I mean, I didn't quite connect these up in my head, but perhaps the idea then is that we don't need interest rates to bring about deflationary force. There's enough technology. I think that's got to be some years away, though, hasn't it? Well, the thing is, uh, pair stock, 90% of the stocks in, in across all of their portfolios seem to be loss-making stocks. So one of the things that she desperately needs at the moment is a low interest rate so that these companies, when they do burn through all of their venture capital money, they can uh, they can get some more at a very cheap rate by just issuing some more shares. The problem at the moment is, is there's not a lot of VC companies ready to throw um, th you know, any of these compa companies a lifeline. And them having to take out debt at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10% uh, makes them quite, quite a lot less attractive. So you can see there is also a hidden motive behind Cathy's uh, letter to the Fed. It's like, please bail out all of the companies in my fund and then by virtue of my fund it? itself. It does seem very desperate, yes. Um, basically, uh, it's been mocked quite widely on the internet. I don't know whether you've seen it. There's been a lot of Cathy uh, Wood's face being... Um, <laughs> photoshopped onto the the latest karen of the moment and saying that karen would like to speak to the kathy would like to speak to the feds manager um they've all been very funny there was another one that paul's nicked and posted on his instagram uh it's oh, quite yeah. a rude jerome powell one it fits in just well with all his other ones but <laughs> that's my general take on it i think this is a desperate desperate attempt uh and it's really fallen on why on earth the fed she thinks the fed would listen to her uh, on anything is beyond me. Uh, Powell's on a path. Jamie Dimon today has come out in support of him. He says he supports whatever he needs to do to sort this problem out. Uh, I think Dimon has a uh, hundred times more credible than is uh, a hundred times more credible than Kathy. Uh, I don't really have an awful lot more on that. I don't know if you guys do. So I had the oh, same how thought. How the tables have turned? Sorry, it's just we were talking about Kathy like she was the second coming of Jesus of a year ago, and everything. She was saying it was gospel. How is it? How? Well, we know why it's changed because the stocks are doing crap. But it's yeah. I I I I never bought the deflationary environment thing because prices go up, and unfortunately, companies do not pass on cost cutting to their customers. Prices just tend to go up, and they make more profit for the shareholders. I don't understand why this, as a businesswoman, this message didn't get through to Kathy Wood at all. But sorry, carry on, Steve. So I had the same thought that both of you had, and I think it's just perfectly um, accurate thought here, right? That if I was a fund manager who ran a fund that was basically stuffed full of often unprofitable, often debt-funded companies, I would be worried about interest rates going up and it would behove me to do anything I could to try and stop that happening. That doesn't mean the things that she's saying aren't true. Uh, of course, that commodity prices are indeed uh, coming down. It may well be that the Fed is going to cause more deflation than it realises. For what it's worth, I never thought Cathy Wood was that great a few years ago, and I don't think she's that bad now. I kind of think we tend to overreact to her quite wildly in, in both directions. It feels to me like she's pretty clearly talking her own book, but when I see that happening, I sort of think... I mean, sure, whose book is she supposed to be talking? If she started saying, oh, I should buy Coke, Kraft Heinz and Pepsi, um, I mean, the kind of investors in her fund would all leave, presumably. I mean, what's distinctive about her stuff is it gives you exposure to stuff like Teladoc and Tesla. And if you believe they have bright futures and so on, uh, then you should go buy that thing. But her job is to predict what the Fed's going to do, not try and kind of moralise or offer economic theory to the Fed about what it ought to do. Getting those two confused, I think, is a bit of an issue. I mean, even if you think the Fed is going to do something stupid and you're a portfolio manager your job is to position yourself for something stupid to happen in that case and whether you're right or wrong about what ought to be the case and what's best for america that's not your role as a fund manager as i see it anyway don't don't you think that that hair 
portfolio has got astronomically worse over the last year. I mean, there was a time when Steve and I used to look at her portfolio and say, hey, look, there's companies like Illumina in there that, are, you know, we might think it's overvalued, but it was starting to turn a profit and it was starting to look like an exciting company. And she can't just ship all those stuff out and she's gone like, like right down the rabbit hole and even more kind of speculative tech. So it used to be some speculative tech stuff stuffed with some okay value stuff stuffed with some expensive but high growth and profitable tech stuff and it seems to have just kind of that middle bit that middle anchors of the portfolio has gone out and the high growthy tech stuff has been slimmed down and it's now just filled with crap and that's the sort of problem i have with kathy's portfolio is it's got progressively worse even the people who are still into really high growth tech stuff look at her portfolio and say oh, i don't really like any of the stocks in there or you've got like you, you know teladoc seems to make its way into like every single every single portfolio she has it was it's just absolutely in the genomics one at some point it does there's no genomics at, at, at teladoc at the moment but it, it just makes it's a really strange portfolio and i feel like over time it's got it's got a lot worse. And I think that's why she's mm. getting criticism is because, yes, the stocks aren't doing very well, but in the process of it, she's panicking and making uh, 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 what was a sound portfolio that was going down into a bad portfolio, which is going down even more. Well, officially, the line she, she peddled a lot was as the portfolio goes down, she would sell off more of the stuff that was holding its value um, and put that into higher conviction stuff but it seems that that didn't go to plan and she just started putting it into any old speculative stuff and it didn't go you know the money didn't go out of uh lockheed martin and into uh tesla or uh, teladoc it kind of went out and back down into some of the other uh the other mrna stuff that's at the bottom that's really really speculative like it's all over the place and it's not to mention that she's closed two of her funds now isn't she mm. uh one of our favorites was the israeli one i think she's closed that one down now and that yeah, she's handed over of... control of two more to uh somebody else arc as well isn't she? so she's not uh, actually right, managing okay. any of them anymore so but that yeah that 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 what you're saying there is is the big problem that i've had with her portfolios for a while is that you look at them and she changes them quite a, a lot every day or the the managers uh, change it quite a lot every day and you don't there's just not the quality in there anymore i mean they have that rule that they don't want to hold more than 10 percent of tesla well they had a problem that tesla stayed pretty steady and everything else absolutely bottomed out and that made them sell tesla uh, and then everything fell a lot more and tesla fell a little bit and they had to sell some more tesla as well and it just that rule just didn't seem to make sense it was tesla was literally the linchpin of their portfolio it was what they what they made their name on and uh and i don't know for them to just kick that out after t especially when she's on tv one day telling you that it's got a uh you know it's going to hit a share price of a thousand again and uh you know you look at it on the night and she's been forced to sell it because of some bullshit rule that they've invented themselves um it doesn't make any sense to me that was that was one of the things i was going to mention actually because there's a you know it's one of the theories out there and i think you you're into that theory as well a little bit is that if you buy five stocks uh five speculative stocks and four of them could do badly but one of them could do really well and the idea of that is that uh you only need one to do really well but kathy wood and all of her portfolios right now appear to be the argument against that i mean we could say tesla did really well but um even that's on its way down now but the, the turnover, the turnover is what's so high. None of these things have been given room to breathe. It's like you buy a stock and it's down 30%. Or oh, you buy it by Coinbase and it, it, it absolutely bombs down. And then you see them trimming Coinbase and you think, these they things need time the to breathe. They, they, exactly. Yeah. They're buying the, buying the tops and selling the bottoms and it makes no sense whatsoever. Things need time to breathe. Uh, I think they they must feel like they need to be seen to be uh, active doing because, something. You know that yeah, yeah because people are panicking and uh, and you know they want it, you want to be seen to doing anything. But Lynch has got a quite famous story of him refusing to come home from a golf course uh, when the stocks. So he's like, "What do you want me to do? I don't control the market. Is there a comeback? <laughs> what do you what do you think I'm going to do?" Mm. He did eventually come back. I think it took him three days. Um, I think he was in England actually <laughs> as well at the Great, time. That, but, Steve, you got stories stories like that are brilliant. I love that story it, you know just to think that he just went 
well, you know, this is just going to happen, and that's it. And we should be taking yeah. that advice and not from the hedge funds. A couple of quick th- uh, thoughts then for the moment. I mean, two years ago, this was Warren Buffett, uh, who was uh, washed up and Berkshire was finished and Buffett was past it and he can't buy anything and he doesn't understand the world anymore and all this kind of stuff. Um, and now Buffett is God again and Kathy Wood is now Warren Buffett, etc. Um, Kathy Wood's new line on this, for what it appears to me, is to say, look, judge us on our kind of five-year performance or something like that, right? You can't just talk about what we've done in the last year. Anyone can have a bad year. And she has said repeatedly, in fairness to her, that ARK will underperform in bear markets. We're in a bear market. ARK is underperforming quite spectacularly, but she said that would happen to an extent. The trouble is, the five-year return on ARK, when I looked earlier today, is a total of 3.44%, which I think is probably less than you would have paid in fees uh, if you would have owned this for the last five years. Now, in fairness to her... Uh, the, the world doesn't end now. Uh, you know, there's still time for another bull market. She'll go back to outperforming Buffett. She will be the champion of the world again. Um, and we'll all be selling Berkshire Hathaway because the old guy keeps buying Verizon or something. Um, maybe. I mean, I'm conscious that this isn't the end of the world, uh, basically. The, the game doesn't kind of stop now forever. But one last thought for you uh, that I've written down on this. She did say in June uh, her fund had bottomed and was now going to make its way up. It was at $40 then. It's now at 35 So it may have bottomed once. That doesn't mean it can't presumably bottom some more times. Get out of here with your voice of reason. Let's get back to slamming Kathy Wood. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next up, uh, I just wanted to talk about Netflix because there's mm-hmm. been some breaking news that they've announced their uh, ad-supported tier. So Hmm. two angles I want you to talk about this from. Um, Number one, personally, do you think you'll change your price? Uh, Do you think you change your package on Netflix? Uh, Because I'm sure you have Netflix. That's one of the benefits of having the brand. And number two, what do you think it's going to do to the stock and the brand and the the general overall well-being of the company? So... Do you want to go first, Steve? I'm, I'm no, you, about. please, because I don't actually know what the numbers are on the prices for this thing. Okay, so uh, I've got the numbers here. They're, they're as follows. They're going to charge uh, six ninety nine US. Um, it, that's obviously in America. Over here, it's going to be uh, four ninety nine uh, a month. Um, the the ad load, so per content hour, uh, has been confirmed. We did break it as a breaking story um, last week. Uh, about four minutes per content hour. They've said it'll be between four and six. So for every hour of uh, content you watch on Netflix, you're going to get between four and six minutes of advertisement. They did say that the uh, ad... Uh, supported version will have about five or ten percent of content missing and that's due to licensing deals so netflix when they license the content in will have licensed it in and saying we won't be placing any adverts on that so there's no need to revenue share uh, obviously they can't rewrite the contract on those things or they won't rewrite the contracts or on some shows they're just not getting the viewership that it's worth rewriting the content uh the the contract on them so the ad uh the ad version will have about it reckons max ten percent of 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 shows missing from the whole catalogue. But I think it's really positive. I said it last week. There's a number of ways here that you can look at this, but the best thing to look at is if if this attracts new customers and a limited amount of downgrades, then there may be some short-term pain for Netflix. But if you can't see a gradual revenue and profit increase from this, uh, I think you're just not looking hard enough because four to six minutes of content load per hour is not a lot. At the moment, you're getting uh, probably 15 minutes on on cable TV per content hour. It might be 20, depending on what point you measure it. Netflix can slowly crank that up. The difference between four minutes and five minutes is extra money. The difference between five minutes and six minutes is extra money. Eventually, they'll crank that all the way up to 15 minutes, I'm afraid to tell you. And the price of that can go up as well. They've actually sold the full ad inventory as well. That's all ready to go. When you sell, uh, when you have four minutes to five minutes to six minutes, you can sell more ad inventory as well. This is all going to go on to Netflix's top line. So uh, I think this is a very positive move. I think the big concern people had with Netflix was price. They didn't realize they would think they were getting value for money. If people are accepting of uh, four you know, four minutes of advertising uh, on Netflix and, and you get it essentially half price. Uh, I think that's a good move for Netflix. And uh, I think um, I can just see a clear path to more revenue here. I don't disagree with you, but uh, to see it from the other side of it, 
Um, I think the price at four ninety nine in the UK is too low. I I will change to an ad supported. Uh, I'm a top tier customer at the moment. Although, in with my streaming services right now, Netflix would be my first to cut out of the Disney, Amazon. Yeah, Disney and Amazon are the only two I have at the moment. Uh, Netflix would be the first one to cut on that one. Interesting that you you said ten percent of the library is going to disappear but i imagine that's not the netflix originals content which is what we're there for you're there on netflix to get that originals content now because that's what's the that that's what's causing all the stir that's the water cooler conversation that's going out there at the moment uh however i think there will be uh, a bit of uh, a shift downwards into the lower tiers from the upper tiers particularly me i think i will shift i i think i will that's with, not a massive that issue, though, because this is an no. introductory rate. This is to get that subscriber number up, uh, get people back paying again. And that's another thing that they'll slowly crank up on you over time. I'm afraid you'll be paying more money to watch more advertising. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's just, that's just the way it's going to work, I'm afraid. But this is a good rate. And if, if people are accepting of a couple of minutes of advertising, uh, which, you know, Steve and I, uh, I think, I don't know if he was on the show when we talked about it, Paul, but we said that there's a few ways that they will go about this. They'll make the the tier so horrible like spotify does that absolutely nobody will want to swap yeah. to it or people who do swap to it will quickly swap off they've actually gone the opposite way in this and i think they're trying to make this yeah. nice and gently and sort of like give you a little bit of advertisements you know a little bit like youtube has done where you know you, you used to watch a, a 15 second skip of all advert and now you have to watch about 15 minutes of adverts three times before you can actually watch the content you've clicked on but go on, Steve, sorry i i realize i am interrupting you no, that, that makes it a much more attractive proposition to advertisers, I guess, right? If you're going to charge not very much and try and get people in. I mean, you covered what I was thinking, which is that this feels like you've talked about Netflix as a kind of frog boiling uh, thing. And a, a gentle introductory rate stops people jumping out. Uh, the only other thing I had was at £4.99. I mean, by today's sort of conversion, that's about $4.99. Bargain for us, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a much better deal for us uh, compared to the US. Um, yeah, I mean, Netflix has got to be a goldmine for advertisers. Advertisers must be looking at that and licking their lips going, right, I can't believe it. We're, we're going to pay top dollar to be in front of the eyes of two, 200 million subscribers. They are. And, and it's going to be a big, big old thing, isn't it? Well, I've got the data on that because uh, last week we said that we'd heard that uh, Netflix were offering their um, cost per milli out at £65, uh, which was about £20 higher than what you get on top top quality cable TV. Um, we've actually wow. found out that uh, Microsoft Handling have actually released and said they've actually been doing it at 50 So they've actually gone five higher than, uh, than you know, top quality cable telly. And, wow. they've, um, and they've sold out as well, which is good because you think Netflix should have yeah. uh, or should quickly be able to build up an element of targeting that cable TV can't do. Cable TV kind of says to advertisers, uh, the Super Bowl's on, the Super Bowl, people will drink beer, therefore you put beer advertisements there, whereas Netflix will be saying, well, you know, <laughs> the, the, you know, Steve and Paul, they watch Peppa Pig every week. So, you know what I mean? The best thing not to advertise to them would be like Danish bacon or something like that. So, you know, I think that'll be, uh, I think that's quite, uh, uh, that's another good thing for Netflix. What are they going to advertise to me? Beanbags and Cheetos, basically. Because um, that's all I do is sit in front of an, in front of Netflix on a beanbag, eating crisps. Sangria, sun loungers, <laughs> board shorts, oh, beach yeah. towels. Oh. You, you reminded me, actually, because you talked about Spotify. And uh, I actually started using Spotify on some of because i don't get very long to look around any of these cities that i've been going to recently so i want to get a quick look around and what i've been doing is putting in my buds and uh putting on spotify and i specifically have been going around listening to lo-fi beats i don't know if anyone is familiar uh you two now it's very lo-fi beats it's just like a it's just like a little hip-hop beat with a little bit of sound over the top of it it's just a very calming soothing type of type of music and i kind of stare at these cities uh and try and take it all in with these lo-fi beats but you know every half an hour i'm getting an advert in in the language of the country that i'm in by the way which is just absolutely ridiculous and um 
yeah, I, I, I can't take it. I, I can't take it, but I'm not, I'm not willing to pay for it. I'm not willing to pay for the subscription to Spotify, even for that. So yeah, it is annoying. And I just hope Netflix doesn't get to that point. We've, um, we've just paid for the family version of Spotify. My wife wanted to get off Apple music because she said it's garbage. Um, and we, uh, We've gone onto Spotify and she cannot believe how much better it is. Just at knowing what track to play next, the algorithm of feeding her something different or something new that she might like, she just said is like remarkably better. So I've managed to rope her into cutting the grass this summer. So she's been out there with her Apple pods on. She loves cutting the grass now with her, with her AirPods in and Spotify on. And I just, I'm like you, Paul. There's a number of times a neighbour caught me in the sun lounge, in the hammock, while she was cutting the grass, reading, and he sort of looked at me as if to say, how have you wrangled this? <laughs> Spotify, mate. Spotify yeah, premium. Spotify, yeah. I pay, yeah, What an quid. advert. What an advert for Spotify. Um, I haven't checked it out, actually, but Amazon have got a Prime Music as well, and I'm already signed up to Amazon. I've never used it. I don't know if you guys have used it. I haven't used it. I'm an Amazon shareholder. I'm not a Spotify shareholder, but I also have Spotify family for what it's worth. We used to just do it by sharing an account. And the thing with that is you can play stuff out of more than one device, which is quite nice, but you can only play one thing. So she'd, my, my wife would be kind of in the gym and I'd be changing the stuff in her ears deliberately, mostly uh, making it play Tiger Feet by Mud, wherever she was. And then she'd be in the car driving along because the car thing wasn't picking up her phone as a signal. She couldn't change it either. Uh, I just play that endlessly. So then we got a family one where you can now listen to different things. Yeah, we've done that with one of the kids at uh, work before. Oh. We've, we've hooked his AirPods up to somebody else's phone, and then whenever he puts his AirPods in, we just play something <laughs> random out of his earphones, and he's been like, somebody has hacked, somebody has hacked my AirPods. <laughs> Another brilliant advertisement for Spotify. Want, want your husband to stop torturing you? Buy premium. There you God. go. Do we want to end it with a bit of inflation data? Okay, I'll start us off then on this, because I've been thinking about things a little bit more broadly than kind of inflation, I guess. But you're right, Paul, there's been an inflation print today. Uh, it's from the US. Uh, inflation there is running at 8.2% versus the forecasted 8.1%, which means that the Federal Reserve's rate hikes are not working. And so the stock market recently has been going nonstop in one direction, making it entirely unlike anything I can compare it to at all. Um, but... What does seem to happen to me is that every time we get some sort of macroeconomic data, whether it's jobs data or inflation data or GDP data, uh, share prices go down, more or less. Um, and watching, we talked a little bit at the top of the show about what it's like watching share prices go down on stocks that you own and so on. But one of the things that makes it easier for me, I think, is when I have some idea of why that's happening. Uh, so I don't invest on the basis of what I think macroeconomic data is going to do, certainly not is going to do in the next like month or two months or something like that. But understanding why things are moving around is kind of helpful to me. So I was doing trying to do a bit of thinking about it. So last Friday, there was a jobs report from the US and that jobs report was strong and the market went down. And it's not immediately obvious maybe why a strong jobs report should be a bad thing for stock prices. More people around, more people spending money, more people able to do stuff. Good news for businesses, right? Kind of wrong. So here's my kind of starting thought, which is that the UK and the US are both possibly in stagflation, but at any rate in a low growth, high inflation uh, environment. And neither of those things is any good because ideally you would want those the other way around. You'd want growth to be high and inflation to be low. Um, and the way you try and correct those things is basically by doing the opposite thing to one another. So if you want growth, you cut interest rates and encourage people to spend, which is sort of what the UK is now attempting to encourage the Bank of England to do. Borrow a load of money, stimulate the economy, pay that back out of the stuff that you've grown the economy by. I mean, by the time this goes out, by the way, the government policy will be something entirely different again. But it's what they were trying to do at the time I was saying this. The US is taking the opposite approach. They're trying to tackle their inflation first. So rates go up. Uh, spending goes down, the economy slows. Uh, but the idea is you bring the inflation thing under control. So what we've seen recently is a low unemployment rate uh, from the US, lower than was expected, 3.5% against 3.7%. Look, that's a good thing for a number of reasons. But if you're trying to bring inflation down, the last thing you want is people having loads of money and going around spending it all over the damn place because that pushes inflation up. Uh, there might be other reasons why you want people to have money. But if you're busy trying to tackle inflation, that's going to be bad. And that's why that job market news nice though it is for people, uh, is causing stock prices to fall. Likewise, UK GDP data, that's kind of down in August, and the UK is not in um, 
downwards mode. It's not in slowing the economy down mode. It's in speeding the economy up mode. And hell with the inflation. We'll sort that out later. So they're moving in different directions. And it's that macro stuff that's basically all the wrong way round. Basically, the UK would like a strong jobs report. The US would not. Um, the UK will live with inflation for the moment. The US won't. The US can live with a slowing GDP. The US, the UK cannot. Everything seems to be going the wrong way macro-wise. And that, to me, I think is why share prices keep going down. That's my thought anyway. That is probably the best way, the, the best I've heard anybody explain that so far, which has been really cool. And I wonder if it is something to do with the fact that the UK is in a pretty crap spot and has been a, in a pretty crap spot growth-wise for such a long time that it can't afford to not grow and it needs to push that growth. Whereas the US is in a very different position. It's been in high growth for since 2008 and it feels like we can we can pull back a little bit. We don't need uh, to, to be better than the rest of the world at the moment. What we need is to win votes and we need to win votes by keeping people's uh, keeping food on the table and i think here in the uk and the on the opposite side i think the local government know that they, they're not going to win any votes either way so the best thing is to do the best for the economy and uh and try and grow and uh liz truss her belief is that trickle down ep economics works that's debatable at best but um how do we see this ending then how, where, what are we going to do? Well, I think the we, we've got a bit of a problem because government policy is different to our monetary policy. So it's almost like trying to race your friend in a go-kart while pressing the brake and the accelerator at the same time. Um, that's kind of how it feels uh, where we are. Um, I think we... I, well, look, I think there's going to be a big policy reversal soon. I think that we uh, understand that. Yes, I think everybody here would say that, yeah, we're really interested in the UK growing, but there's quite a, uh, an interesting way of doing it. And the way that, the way that Truss is proposing is uh, it's possibly not the best way. I mean, I, I watched her in... Um, she was getting rinsed on the morning shows and she was saying, um, essentially, uh, it's it's strange that people are commenting on these tax cuts for the rich and highlighting that as a problem but they're not talking about what we've done for people's energy bills and i'm thinking to myself well that, that's like 145 billion spent on energy bills and 45 billion that we're going to spend on on tax cuts and that's kind of like going back to your your wife and saying um oh i've, I've bought a ferrari and she says to you uh, oh, how are we going to pay for that? And you said, don't worry, I've also bought a Porsche. That's what she's saying, isn't it? So I think yeah. we're going to see big policy reversal. I, I just don't see how any of these things get through. In fact, I mean, there's already rumblings of uh, a, a no confidence vote in Truss and, uh, and, and Kwarteng, and I think that may trigger a, a general election. I've actually seen in uh, some of the Tory uh, papers that... Um, uh, Tory councillors are worried because they've got to go and sell this on the doorsteps of the Red Wall, haven't they? They've got to try and go to people who are lifelong Labour supporters who've lent their support to the Tories and say, uh, yeah, we're not pursuing uh, bubble-up economics like we sort of thought um, we were going to be doing. We're doing trickle-down economics again. And uh, uh. That's, that's, that's worked in the past. Um, and that's just not going to work. And a lot of these sort of Tory councillors are sort of seeing, well, we, we better start finding ourselves another job because we're not going to be, you know, we're not we're, we're not going to have this job in a couple of years' time. And I think a lot of them are thinking, well, we might as well, you know, we might as well get that over and done with, get a general election in, because I think, I mean, I think there's going to be a change of government, but I've thought that before. Um, and I think at the moment we're just sort of like, uh, party and waiting with, with Labour, but the the left and the centre has a real way of f fucking this up at every opportunity. They they're the strangest group of people in the world. They're like, yeah yeah, we know the Tories are bad, but let me tell you about this guy. You know what I mean? And they just they tend, there's so much infighting uh, in between parties that should be really sort of like teaming together to help each other. I noticed Labour have already come out and said, we won't be teaming up with anybody, we won't be teaming up with the SNP to get in, and you, you just start to think to yourself, like, I could also That's see cool. a situation where somebody squeaks in here, you know, the 
slip yeah. them side yeah. with slip them some green side with the Torres or something just to make some <laughs> mix you could you could see something like that happening so yeah they're, they're a way of destroying themselves i think there's policy reversal coming but i don't think it'll be enough to save uh tross they better not um rescind the ir35 rollback it's not completely going but it's uh, i could do with uh me to control my own finances through IR35 that'd be very helpful that's that's very helpful for me and and for other very small businesses uh particularly uh individual sole traders that's very important uh so I found that very very positive uh the rest though yeah not so sure it's it's trickle down economics isn't it 101 and uh I thought we we'd stop that now yeah well i've I've been listening to a lot of sort of talks recently and about about people saying well trickle down economics is is great but it doesn't really work and one of the things that we they want to pursue is try and bubble up economics where you start to pay the people on the bottom of the ladders more and they spend more in the economy the economy is obviously run by the rich and therefore the rich also get more money in the pocket but everybody in the ladder feels better rather than kind of like if you imagine somebody pouring wine in the top of those fancy glass architecture things where it kind of spills down and spills down and spills down well actually we're filling it up from the the bottom up which seems like a nice thing i mean we haven't tried it what the fuck let's just try it like how how bad can it be i mean i hate to put a, a nail in your analogy there but the 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 latter's impossible so <laughs> I've seen it before where you can put a pint glass on a bar. I went, I think it was a, like a sports event. I was like, you put the pint glass on the bar and it fills up from the bottom. I've seen it. Oh yes, I have seen that actually. Yeah, that was like a Carlsberg trick. Uh, yeah. What, what, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I have seen that. Yeah, very, very good. All right, I think we'll leave it there because we got really political at the end. Uh, uh, no guesses as to which way Steve D, D leans politically. But um, green. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week.